0: Previously on the Florida Files.
1: The police and the FBI are releasing very little. We know their names, Michael Lee Platt and William Maddox. They have no arrest records locally, we're told.
0: So you say worst case scenario, is that the worst case scenario? Oh, I can't
1: think of it being any worse.
2: Back on the scene, dozens of federal and county investigators responding to the call, pouring over evidence to recreate the crime.
3: I got there and I saw, um, the bloody jacket on the the road, I knew immediately that was Ed.
0: Double lives. That's what family, friends, and investigators discover about Michael Lee Platt and William Russell Maddox when their names are splashed across newspaper headlines and their faces are all over television after the bloodiest day in FBI history. On April 11th, 1986, after a stolen car stop by the FBI, Maddox and Platt come out shooting, killing two agents and wounding five others on a suburban Miami street. The day remains as one of the worst gunfights law enforcement ever encountered. And even though Maddox and Platt are dead after the fierce battle, Maddox shot six times, Platt 12, other stories begin to emerge. Trails of blood from Miami to Ohio and secrets that the two men, took to their grave. There are ghosts from the past that resurface. Former wives of the two men meet with untimely deaths. One murdered, the other one dead a few years before the shootout in what police rule is a suicide, dead from a shotgun blast.
2: Two killers gunned down after murdering two FBI agents and wounding five others. Meantime, police are reopening the violent deaths of the killer's wives. William Maddox, for one. His wife, Patricia, was murdered two and a half years ago in Columbus, Ohio. The case never solved. Then there's killer Michael Lee Platt. His wife, Regina, allegedly committed suicide with a shotgun blast to the head nearly a year after the Maddox murder. Late today, two Columbus detectives arrived in Miami to look for a possible connection.
4: I can only say that we're here to review what these gentlemen from Florida have, and we'll have to make a determination after we've looked at everything.
2: In South Miami, Susan Candiotti, Channel 10 Eyewitness News.
0: Local 10 and local10.com present The Florida Files, I'm Michelle Solomon, and this is the story of the Sunnyland Miami Shootout, the bloodiest day in FBI history. Maddox is a born-again Christian, a family and church man. He joins the Marines right out of high school, then goes to butcher school. He wants to be a chef. Platt is from a military family from Bloomington, Indiana. He spends his growing years on military bases around the country. He moves to Florida after his father retires to Homestead near Miami, and eventually Platt works with his brother, Tim, in his tree trimming business. Maddox and Platt meet as military policemen in Korea. Maddox escapes Ohio for a life in Florida after the horrific murder of his wife. He's the grieving husband and father. But before he leaves Ohio, he collects $350,000 in insurance money because of her death. Platts invited him to come down to Florida and join him in the lawn business. The two decide to split off from Tim Platts' business and form their own, Yankee Clipper. Police later say it serves as a front for them to scope out their hits while tooling around in a landscaping truck. Platt 32 lives at 15031 Southwest 88th Lane and Maddox 34 lives at 15615 Southwest 85th Ave in a subdivision called Southwood. Both men's homes are within 12 miles of where they die and close to the restaurants and shopping centers where they wait for armored car guards, shoot them and take money bags and nearby to the banks where the robbers terrorized tellers and
3: customers. One day after FBI agents fought a fierce battle for their lives in broad daylight, the curious still crowd into this Kendall community on Southwest 82nd Avenue and 122nd Street, taking pictures and asking questions, alongside agents trying to reconstruct the shootout. Still, it's not the only South Dade neighborhood dealing with shock today. Friends of William Maddox can't believe it was their neighbor, who lay dead in the street yesterday, responsible for the wild shootout. That left two agents dead and another five wounded.
0: We were the only people that really spoke with him.
3: Yes. We were the when we he just moved we're
0: in. No, you're know, a nice guy. You know. I've been working out here, he come here cut the trees and all the lawn.
3: The Brennans live across the street from Maddox, often entertaining him in their home. Twenty six year old Helen even dated him once. It was just shock, <laughs> you know, that, that somebody like that could You you never know. Despite glowing pictures of two buddies who have no record of ever committing a crime, police say they're confident Maddox and Platt are the two men who've terrorized South Florida when they weren't at home being good family men. Now comes the hard part, proving it. In Miami, Vicki Frazier, Channel 10, Eyewitness News.
0: It's December 1983. Patty Maddox is working at her job inside a cancer research lab at Riverside Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Just two months earlier, she's given birth to a daughter, Melissa. Another woman is working in the lab with her. Joyce McFadden tells Patty she's going to the library to do some research. Patty is left alone in the lab in the late afternoon on December 30, 1983. At 4.30 p.m., Joyce hears a call over the hospital intercom. Joyce McFadden, come to the cancer lab and stat. Less than a half hour later, it's discovered that Joyce McFadden has been bound and gagged and stabbed to death. Patricia Maddox, she's stabbed 16 times and her wedding ring is stolen. A Columbus, Ohio mystery author has followed the unsolved story for 35 years. First, just tell me your name and tell me the, the, the book.
4: Yeah, my name is David Myers, and I wrote a book called, along with my daughter, Elise Myers-Walker, a book called Historic Columbus Crimes. And in that, we had a chapter about this, uh, the FBI shootout, but we had, we're really emphasizing the front end of it, which was the murder of Joyce McFadden and Patty Maddox.
0: So um, tell, tell me what you know about that, that murder, which remains unsolved to this, this day. Um, I, I told you, I spoke to um, detectives that said they, you know, they're keeping it open because they haven't had anything that would close it.
4: Well, I will tell it to you basically from the perspective of Detective David Morris. And he was in the, the Columbus uh, Police Headquarters on December 30th, 1983, which was a Friday, about 515. And he was, took the call that there was a, a bit of a murder at Riverside Methodist Hospital and that the body of a woman was lying face down in a pool of blood in the cancer laboratory.
0: Myers tells me what he learns that corrupts the crime scene and makes it more difficult for police to get evidence that the supervisor of the cancer lab was on vacation but stops to pick up his mail. He goes into the lab and finds the body of Joyce McFadden on the floor.
4: And she had been uh, bound and gagged with tape and stabbed 19 times and she was basically desanguated. You know, all her, she had bled out completely and you know, he was horrified naturally.
0: This supervisor is shocked and calls the president of the hospital, whose office is close by the remote area where the cancer lab is.
4: And he immediately called uh, the hospital counsel, Frank Pandora, and so you have all these people, and, and uh, the hospital security people, and they're all down there examining you know, the, the lab, but it's only after all those people were through there that they finally placed a call to the police. And that's when Dr. Detective Morris got the call. And so the SWAT team member arrived, and she checked things out. And up to that point, they were only aware of that Joyce McFadden's body was there in the lab. The SWAT team member opened uh, a door to an adjoining cold room. It was only about six by four foot uh, in size. And there they found the body of Patty Maddox. And she had been killed in a similar fashion.
0: I call Columbus Police Department's Homicide Cold Case Squad, and I ask them what the status of Patty Maddox and Joyce McFadden's case is. They tell me it's still unsolved. That in 2012, a TV station in town revived the case on a news report, but they didn't get any leads from it.
1: Here's Crime Tracker 10's Jeff Hogan. It was a murder mystery worthy of Hollywood, and it's generated reams of paper over the years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of those are one case. Two Riverside Hospital workers were killed in a lab late in the afternoon of December 30th, 1983. Joyce McFadden was stabbed three times, Patricia Maddox was stabbed 16 times, and her throat was cut. No one heard anything. THE ONLY THINGS TAKEN WERE PATRICIA'S WEDDING RING AND 20 BUCKS FROM HER PURSE. COLUMBUS POLICE SUSPECTED HER HUSBAND, WILLIAM Maddox, BUT HAD NO PROOF. THREE MONTHS AFTER HER DEATH, Maddox COLLECTED A $350,000 INSURANCE POLICY ON HIS WIFE AND MOVED TO FLORIDA. WHILE THERE, POLICE SAY Maddox AND BUSINESS PARTNER MIKE PLATT BEGAN A SERIES OF ROBBERIES THAT ALL ENDED IN A SHOOTOUT WITH FBI AGENTS ON APRIL 11, 1986. TWO AGENTS WERE KILLED. So was Maddox. The older a case gets, the more people forget about it, the more the people don't talk about it. Sergeant Eric Pilia says a former detective on the case is coming out of retirement to take a good look at all the evidence again and hope someone will offer one fresh tip. It may be that we're at the point where the only way that case will ever be solved is with that piece of information.
0: It's April 1986 in New Madison, Ohio. Yvonne Emmerich sees the national news about a shootout that killed FBI agents in Miami. When she speaks with her daughter, Judy Maddox, she says to her, isn't that something about what happened in Miami? Less than 12 hours later, she gets the call from police that her third child, William, is one of the gunmen involved in the agent's killings, and that he's dead too. She speaks to a TV station in Ohio about her son. What
2: happened? I think his mind snapped. And I said I felt so sorry for the people down there, the FBI, their families. They do. They was doing their job, and I I know they had to do it. Somebody had to stop him. Bill was a Christian. And God only lets you go so far. And if you don't stop, he's going to bring you down. Maddox's house is a little more than 30 blocks from the shootout scene. Investigators are going through every bit of his belongings to find out, as FBI Director William Webster puts it, everything about him from the time he was born to the time he died. Columbus, Ohio detectives are looking through Maddox's effects, searching for a link into the murder of his first wife, Patricia. His second wife, Christy, now wonders if FBI agents saved her from a similar fate. God took me out of a situation when I didn't even understand why I had left, quite honestly. It's not something I would have normally done.
0: Shock 2 is good friend and the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Delaware, Ohio, where Patty and Bill were members and who consoles Maddox after Patty's death. I call David Culver, who is now the lead pastor at Shawnee Hills Baptist Church in Jamestown, Ohio. Difficult memories, I guess, is what I would say.
4: Yeah, it's hard to believe that it's been. Wow. Uh, who,
0: Thirty-two years. Years ago. Yeah. I, yeah.
4: Exactly. Just. Yeah. It's it's a long time ago, and yet when I think about it, it uh, it becomes quite fresh again. So. And uh, they were very, very involved, very uh, servant-hearted people, um, relatively newly married. but uh, bill uh, Bill did a lot of the food prep when we had you know church suppers and so forth. He was, He had real culinary skills background, um, and then they had a baby, Melissa. Honestly, Michelle, this just came out of nowhere. I mean, there was never a hint of this type of uh, aggression in Bill when I knew him. It was just that wasn't the Bill I knew. That wasn't the Bill anybody knew.
0: And then I'm talking to some people about what happened in um, in Columbus. I have a an author, and I, I talked to there. They still have that that case oh, yes. opened. Yeah. So right. that was a a shock as well.
4: Could not believe it. Could not believe. It. Of course at that time it was it was just Patty got murdered. How in the world could that happen? In a hospital of all places, you know. and really the name michael platt
1: never came out of the conversation the two men could have given up but instead came out firing a machine gun we know their names michael lee platt and william maddox but police and the fbi believe they'll be able to link the men to other crimes of course we we suspect them in, in a variety of things if they're this violent of course they're probably involved in other criminal activity. But as I said, it's only our suspicions. We haven't confirmed anything other than the
4: vehicle was used in a bank robbery and it was taken
1: in an attempted murder.
0: Miami-Dade Sergeant Tony Monheim is on the squad that is tracking the robbers. He later works in the department's homicide division. He doesn't buy any of it. And the suicide of Regina Platt? Monheim thinks that closed case is sketchy, too. And
4: and, and we knew that Platt's wife was dead also, had supposedly committed suicide, and we speculated that maybe they had formed some type of pact like the old Alfred Hitchcock movie. We even brought that up in one of our meetings to kill each other's wives. you know, have perfect alibis, which they both did, which is kind of unusual Uh, that they both had perfect alibis. Two fellows meet,
3: like you and I. No connection between them whatsoever. Each one has somebody that
4: he'd
0: like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. Fantastic, isn't it? Monheim still ponders the fate of the two special agents who were shot to death, the two brazen killers, about what might have happened if his robbery squad was able to catch up with the thieves before the tragic events that unfolded on April 11th, 1986. You were telling me that you were investigating something about, they got kind of this moniker of the Rock Pit Gang because they were going into um, the Everglades and some of those shooting, target shooting people that would do target shooting. And, and And you said you were telling me about how you just kind of had missed them like people had said oh we see these guys
4: yeah we had been out to a place called square lake which is out on southwest 8th street i believe right off of uh, southwest 8th street and it's a, a, a popular shooting area we did several weekends in a row of surveillances out there and we found out later that on a couple of occasions we had just missed them that they were there shooting and uh our surveillance either ended before they got there or they came after our surveillance ended. So it would have been interesting to find out what would have happened if we would have confronted them. We we talked about that later that I wonder what would have happened, what would have happened had we confronted them uh, if we would have had a shootout
0: there. Then it comes out that there are these two guys that nobody really had known anything about until they were sort of laying flat out on the street after creating this, you know, shooting more than 120 rounds of, between the two, the FBI agents and them, I think it ended up being about 120 to 150 uh, rounds. All of a sudden, they're these these two guys that nobody really has ever heard of. They have these; they don't even really have criminal records. So, was that sort of surprising, or
4: it was stunning? I mean, we thought uh, that they would have extensive records in and out of prison. You know, uh, uh, typical the typical robber. Uh, it, it's what's known as a maturation type of crime, where people start out. Uh, uh, small petty fees, and they work their way into burglaries or work their way into maybe a, a, a purse snatching now and then, and then work their way up to an armed robbery. It's not, it's, it's generally it's uh, a criminal decides they're going to go out and rob banks and rob armored cars at the spur of the moment. They've worked their way up to this. I mean, they were, they had decided, I guess, apparently what they were going to do if they were overconfirmed And it wasn't going to give up. They weren't going to give up.
0: But the truth is that too little was known about the brutal robbers until it was too late. Next on The Florida Files, join me, Michelle Solomon, as more truths about the killers comes to light. And Regina Platt's death on Christmas Eve, 1984, is ruled a suicide, but was it really? And if it was, what was it that drove her to it? Get more of the story and online extras, including archive video and photos at local10.com. Are you a fan of the Florida Files? Tell us what you love about the series on Apple Podcasts and join other fans in leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.